We're in Psalms 91, so we're in a very short series because probably next Sunday morning will be the last in this series. But it's on Psalms 91, which also tells you I won't be covering the entire chapter. But uh, so we're in Psalms 91. I'll probably go to Hebrews chapter 11 again because I didn't finish out that last Sunday night. If you missed that, you can go on our website and listen Sunday morning, Sunday night's uh, sermons. Both of them uh, just continue one from the other, and this continues from them today. Uh, man, I had a joke to tell you about amnesia, but I just can't remember it. Okay, we also have now, on a serious note, though, is, um, Mary Marks went to be with the Lord this past week, so she's walking on the streets of gold, I guess, isn't she? So, but she's with the Lord, and um, as far as details of her service, I have none whatever, but it's at uh, Hires Baxley, I believe, isn't it? Roberts. Roberts, okay, Roberts. I was just seeing if you was on your toes. Okay, Roberts Funeral Home. And uh, so you can check the website or something, call and just find out when that is, and you'll be able to uh, read it there because it'll be on their site and, and find out the day and time and all that that's involved. Okay, now last week, before I read our text in verses 1 through 3, uh, last week uh, we started looking in Hebrews chapter 11, and we went through several of those. As a matter of fact, I believe that we went from verse 31 to 35 or 36, somewhere around there. As we went in those verses, we just saw some people that went through some things. I mean, some hard things, bad things, sawn asunder. I can't imagine sawing a man in half while he's still alive. And then uh, he dies that way. But they were for the cause of Christ. But you look at it, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the, uh, by us the, the Faith Hall of Fame. Now, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God called it that, but God honors those people. And... Um, they, they have a special position because in some of those cases, we don't, we don't really know much about them, you know. And some of those names you mentioned, uh, you say Barak or you say Jephthah or something like that. And then some that doesn't even name things that they went through. But they did it. And the key is they trusted God. They didn't quit. And they went home rejoicing. I think one of the things I shared with you, just what I have read in the past of people being martyred, being burnt at stakes, and I still burning them at a stake, and, and then they, th that's where they die, you know, and you say, wow, but they were singing. You read the Roman Colosseum where they're feeding Christians to lions, and people in the audience were starting to get saved because they saw the peace and the joy that they all had. So when you see something like that, you know that they had something special, which the title of this series is, is having a personal relationship with God. We might even call it an intimate relationship with God. In other words, He is first in your life. He is first in your life. And you say, well, what about my spouse? What about my children? Well, that's the one you, take the, you go to about your spouse and your children. Uh, if you want to be a good spouse, you want to be a good parent, go to the Word of God. It tells you. It tells you how. And so you keep that communication open with Him. As uh, John chapter 10, 
Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so that is one of the special things is that when you get in prayer, when you get in that secret place of the Most High, you'll find that you do get to know Him. And as you're in His Word, He'll begin speaking in your heart. Now, you're not going to hear an audible voice. You're not going to hear an audible voice. Uh, people say they heard an audible voice. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I'm not going to say anything about that, but I'm going to say that's not usually the way God works. Why? Because God is a spirit. You have a spirit. And the true worshipers of God worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if you're going to have a relationship with the Lord, then it begins in spirit. Being one with Him. And you become one with Him when you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. But just think, every sin you ever have or ever will commit, He paid for it on the cross. Just think that all those hidden things of the darkness that are in your life that you don't want anyone to know. As a matter of fact, you probably don't want your spouse to know. Maybe it's evil. Maybe it's terrible and just... I don't want anybody to know about that in my life. And yet, he forgives and he cleanses. And just like one of the names we mentioned last week, Rahab the harlot, he not only saved her, and did he do a good cleansing job of her? I would say so because Joseph and Mary both came from her line. Oh, God does a thorough job when He forgives and He cleanses. And how are we cleansed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins are cleansed away. So, uh, reading verse, first three verses here, then we'll have a word of prayer and get started into our message for today. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Well, we'll stop right there. Father. I pray that as we go to your message today, that the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every heart here today, and that includes mine. I want you to move in a very special way, Father. I just ask thy Holy Spirit, just have free course in here today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, as we were just kind of giving you a little review just a few moments ago, we were looking at those people that, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 that had done great things through some hard things. I mean, look at Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into Egypt. He didn't deserve any of that. They put fetters on his feet where he was also charged wrongly and had to spend years in jail. And yet, or in that prison, you might say, yet we find out in prison 
he was still talking to men about the Lord, interpreting dreams and things of that nature. He still stayed true to the Lord. They put fetters on his feet. The idea there is that he pretty well limped the rest of his life. They said it hurt his feet with fetters. And he would limp the rest of his life. Although he would be the one that God would use to prepare a place for the people of God. And so when you see somebody like that that stays true in the very various trials of life, then you know that man has a real faith. That person has a real faith. Now sometimes people say, well, they're going through some hard times right now. There must be something wrong in their life. So what was wrong in Joseph's life? Uh, what was wrong with those people who were beheaded, burned at stakes? What was wrong in their life? They had it coming, didn't they? No. They were witnessing the gospel of Christ. So, how did they stay true? How do you stay true to God when you're going through all of that? And you just continue to walk with Him. And you're amazed at the strength that He gives you. And then one day you look back. And you'll see things you'll be, in your mind you'll be going over them. The Lord got me through that. Man, I thought I was doing, boy, look what I did. I did this. That wasn't even my idea. It just hit me. And you find out that the Lord was working the whole time for you. And so we see that the importance is, is that we continue to grow daily in our relationship with God. I wonder then if this is something of our American forefathers. Now, you know I've told you, and Brother Randy has told you, others have told you from this very pulpit, that we are, our Constitution was written on the Judeo-Christian ethic. I like to say Old and New Testament. If you're a Jew, you like to say Old and New Covenant. But either way, that Bible is one book. And our Constitution was written on that. So, and they, I mean, they unashamedly, I mean, they, they said what they were writing, that what they were using to write the Constitution. And yet, our forefathers, we find that many of them died. Their houses, their properties destroyed, their families, some, in some cases their families killed. Sometimes they lost their lives. And they fought to guarantee not only the freedom to worship God, but to share that faith with others. And to go through all of that and to endure, knowing that when you walk out that door, that may be the last time you see your family. And my friend, that relationship with God is what takes them through and do the right thing. They were doing it for their country, but they were also doing it for their progeny their offsprings, their line. They're doing it for all. Because they were doing it 
according to the word of God. They saw the biblical wisdom of serving God and being willing to give your life for him. Uh, Jesus gave his life for us. The difference between them and Jesus is Jesus at any time could have come off the cross. At any time he could have uh, just said the word and every one of them would have fell dead. But he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he had that heart for us. That heart was for, for you and me. Way back then, it was for us. And yet, when we were reading in Hebrews chapter 11, we read about all these things that people went through. And you get to verse 38. And that's the one that just really uh, sets well with me. For in verse 38 there of Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to go back over there now. Talking about all these things that people suffered, and you know what he says? Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. It's nice living conditions, isn't it? We see then, that that's the way many of them had to live as they were seeking them to stop them. You know, we talk about our King James Bible here, and understand that uh, there's a group called the Waldessians and the Waldessian Mountains, and what they would do is they were in caves. They had their lanterns, and they would make copies of the Bible. They would handwrite, of course, that's what they had then. And then they would check each other's work, count to the middle of the page. If the word, they had a word wrong in there, didn't agree with the original that they had, they would start over on that very page. It was that important. Well, we call our Textus Receptus and even the Masoretic text. As they were coming down more, the Textus Receptus was still the Masoretic text was copied. But as they did that, the Old and the New Testament, you might say, they took much care, but they also knew that if Roman soldiers found them doing that, if they were caught, they were chunked off that mountain. I mean, off of cliffs or whatever else, they were, they were dead people. But they knew the power that's in the Word of God. They knew the power of God to save. But he knew the power, they knew the power that if I should die, I'll enter his presence gloriously. They trusted, they believed God. And so, they had those living conditions. You see, the world we find there is not worthy of these people. Again, he says, of whom the world was not worthy. 
They, the world hated them. The people of rank, the people that ruled, hated these Christians. They didn't quit. They did not quit. You don't quit when you love someone. I've, over the years, watched marriages fall apart, and I've watched marriages that go through some troublous times, and yet, years later, they're still together. Why? Because they didn't quit. They didn't quit. They stayed true. And so, when we think of all these people, what they went through, and how they dressed, I mean, they were in goat skins, I mean, they, they had to make their clothes, so to speak, to stay dressed, to stay warm, or whatever else they needed. The world was not worthy of them. Now, my folks that are here today, and all of you, I mean, I just want to say, I, I like to dress up for church. I was raised that way because it's going to honor my God and Father. So I try to dress up for church. It's not my uniform. It's my respect for the Lord. It's my respect for the position he put me in that I have no idea why he did. <laughs> a lot of other people do too. But, um, but it's a personal relationship. You got to know him. And don't quit, regardless of the troubles and the trials that attack your life. Stay true to God. Maintain a relationship with the Lord that is true, that is intimate. I remember in the 1950s and 60s, uh, in the 50s, in the elementary schools, would go out in the hallway, line up, and then come walking back in, get under the desk and things like that. We were preparing in case we were hit with an atomic bomb. And we said atomic back then, okay? Atomic bomb. If an atomic bomb hit us, uh, we, we were supposed to be getting under the desk and all these things, how to put the hands over your head and all that. If you were outside, put your hands over your head, lay on the ground. So, I mean, we went through all that. And you'd practice that. Now, we didn't do that in church, though. Christian schools, I mean, some Catholics had their schools, but mainly here, it's, we just didn't have Christian schools. So that was in public school. But then in public school, you prayed, you read the Bible, you even had preachers come by sometimes. They thought that was so evil to do that. They said, no, we've got to have separation of church and state, which was not in the Constitution at all. Got to have separation of church and state. So God didn't separate it, man did. And so they replaced having preachers, having morals being taught with drag queens. Does that make sense? Not at all. Not at all. And so I remember, though, in church, in the 50s and 60s, this is one of the things that would be said. If the Russian soldiers come in, because that was a big thing back then. If the Russian soldiers come in 
and told you to deny God, deny Jesus, or die, what would you do? Now, when you're in fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, you'd say, oh, I'd die. And maybe other people said that too. I think we said it because that was the right answer and we didn't want to get yelled at. Okay. But uh, it was, would you stand? You know, that's not a bad question. Not a bad question at all. They weren't sure something like that would happen. And by the early 60s, that kind of died out and they weren't doing it quite as much anymore. But would you die for Christ? who died for you. You see, you don't have that faith. It's not a growing daily relationship. If you can go day after day, outside of His Word, outside of a prayer time, outside of pouring it, your heart out to God, you're not going to have a daily relationship. You're not going to have that personal relationship that you ought to have. It only comes through a daily relationship with God. <clears throat> we say, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? You may one day get an unsaved person who says, would you like to have a personal relationship with him? That walks daily with him. Now, I don't think an unsaved person will say that to you. But asking people to have a personal relationship to be saved to receive him is just important afterwards that we continue to walk with him. Just think in the Old Testament. You're reading Timothy, the New Testament book says, give attention to reading. You know what they'd do? They had times where they read the scriptures. People would come and listen to them read the scriptures. In Nehemiah chapter 8, they stood there just about a half a day. Can you imagine standing there about half a day? People saying, we didn't have any air conditioning or padded pew. No. They wanted to hear the word of God and what God had to say to them. And Nehemiah chapter 8, it is pointed out that they did that. And when they saw their sin and the trouble they were in, were told that they became sorrowful. And then they told them, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Walk with God, you see. And so uh, you can uh, do the whatever work that you think that you want to do. But really, in your personal relationship, you need to find out what does God want you to do. That is it. And you won't find what God wants you to do. If you're not in his word, you're not in prayer. Sometimes people get discouraged when bad things happen. It's their health. Maybe it's their finances. Maybe it's something else. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? <clears throat> well, do you think you deserved it? You think you deserved it? I don't, I don't think I deserve it. So why, why, why do we get upset? Well, maybe God's trying to get our attention to say, look, I'm not punishing you for a sin. I'm trying to give you some direction in your life. <clears throat> we must 
be honest with ourselves. As our text, he is our refuge. Man, when you go to him for trouble, I mean, you've got that problem in your life. You've got things happening. There's that place you go for a refuge. Oh, Dr. Faust, who was the first pastor here, I read one of his booklets. It was called The Comfort Corner. And I, uh, I said, hmm, that, that is really good. But he told the story of a dog he used to have, a little puppy. And I guess it was a house dog. And every time that dog was about to get in trouble or got scared about something, he had one place where he'd run. He'd be there, and he'd stay there until he felt better, I guess. It was his comfort corner. If you're saved, your comfort corner should be with the Lord Jesus Christ. I said at the beginning, I said again, Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. He gives eternal life. And no man shall pluck you out of his hand. That's my God. That's my Lord. That's my Savior. He's our refuge. He's our almighty God. Trust him daily in the hard times of life. And in the suddenlies of life. When those tragic things happen. Trust him in it all. He said in verse 30, uh, verse 3, should I say, surely he shall deliver thee from the fowler. The fowler? What does that fowler do? He sets up that little trap, puts some food in there, and when they come in there inside that trap to get the food, boom, they're caught. They're caught. And that's Satan. He puts things in front of you that he makes you really want to like and be a part of your life. And my friend, once you go in, you're caught. You're caught. That's why we have the Word of God. That's why it's preserved. You know, we had Thanksgiving this past week. And <clears throat> we're told to enter his courts with praise. No. And to his gates with thanksgiving. Be thankful unto him. But, we ever think of that last part? For his truth endureth forever. So often when we read that 100th Psalm, we put so much emphasis on the thanks, which is a good thing, because in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. But you don't do it at the expense of God's word. You do it with God's word. And so he is guaranteeing us in that last verse his truth endureth forever that he would preserve that word forever and ever. We have the preserved word of God today. Now there are scholars trained by the devil's Fowlers 
that have taken me and said, no, we don't have it. We don't have it anymore. We, don't, we only, well, parts of it are lost. They don't know that the devil, they, they may have five letters after their name of all the doctrines. But if they don't know any better than that, they have no idea. They're saying, God can't do that. He, he had, lacks the ability to overcome Satan in that way. But none of us would say that. Yeah, but the actions say that. The actions say that. You ever come home, see a child with chocolate on one side and something? Did you get candy? No. See, his actions said something else. And that's what happens so often with us. And so the devil tempts. And from the noisome pestilence. Now, when I think of the noisome pestilence, <clears throat> then we had something go through this country a couple of years ago, wearing masks, everything else. Then you have a university comes out with the thing says, uh, Keep those masks on, it's going to poison you. And I mean, that was a university study. It's a secular university. But is it interesting that we automatically just responded to whatever they said? But you see, people got out of church. We're no longer going to church. Watching it on live stream. By the way, if you're still, if you're watching this live stream and you're not gone back to church and you're able to go, uh, get right with God on that. Get right with God on that. Let me just say that. Uh, and, and we love those people that, that help. I mean, people that watch and all that, a lot of shut-ins that do. But you can be in church, be in God's house, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is. And so, you trust in Him. You trust completely in Him. Now, instead of reading through those verses there of Hebrews 11, I'm not going to go into them. Instead, maybe sometime go home and read Hebrews chapter 11 and realize the common denominator besides the trust in the Lord, faith, faith, the common denominator of those men of faith, those women of faith, they didn't quit. That makes me to ask a question when people quit. Why did you quit? Well, you know what that preacher said? I used to keep a list of things, reasons people don't go to church anymore. <laughs> There's about 10 of them that, that were... Uh, because he always preaches on this, or he always preaches on it. There's about 10 of those. I, I finally just got away with the list. I said, I'm not even keeping up with that anymore. <clears throat> it's kind of depressing to see how bad I do. Uh, but no, I was preaching the Word, and I still preach the Word. Okay, that's the way you do it. But what I'm saying is this. You don't quit because people say things. Oh, the way they treat me. Don't quit. So the question, it's important. Why did you quit? But more importantly, why aren't you getting back to where you were? When you were walking with God, when you were right with God, why aren't you back? 
See, every one of you, just like I'll have to, will give an account of yourself as a Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll have to give an answer. Why, why, why did you quit? Why didn't you go back to where was the right way? Ye will give an account unto the Lord. I will also. Some used to either drive a bus or visit for a bus route, maybe monitor on a bus. You picked them up, you took them home. Some used to sing in a choir. Some used to go on visitation. By the way, I don't say this is a good thing, I say it's a bad thing. We're having more teenagers go to visitation than adults. Uh, you ever hear preachers talk about how the kids run the home? But God doesn't want the kids to run the church too. He wants them to grow and have an example of parents who are faithful to God, who will visit, who will be a witness, who will do the things that God would have them to do. That's what he needs. Some used to work in the nursery. Some worked in children's church. Some with the children's Sunday school class. Some used to be faithful to all the services, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, as well as any revival meeting that would come up. The question to answer, not to me, goodness gracious, not to me, I'm not going to be your judge. The question to answer to yourself before God is, why did I quit? Why did I quit? I got mad at somebody. You see, Satan knew the bait to put in the trap for you. You know, the reason you quit, the question you need to ask yourself is this, is my reason holy and acceptable unto God? Can I give a Bible reason by that I mean this, in your prayer time, in your Bible time, God began to speak to your heart. I, I don't want you doing that any longer. Now, I've gone through that several times. I got called to preach. I went off to college. The college I went to, people, I went to Pensacola Christian College. I'd first gone to Tennessee Temple and dropped out. We got married and then a couple years later went back to college. It wasn't a challenge if you didn't have a wife and children. But um, went back that way. But what I'm saying is, is this. I had people tell me and say some hard things to me about it. They said, like, I'm expecting you to fail. Now, they didn't use those exact words, but the words they used pretty well said that to me. I know what it is to be opposed. Look, when I went from my first church to Arizona, that was kind of hard. But I knew God spoke to my heart. And there wasn't a church in Arizona. I went out and started one. When I come from Arizona to here, my, my dad flew out there, him and mom. I thought, man, that's great. We get to see them. We're here in Arizona. We're having a hard time making two nickels rub together, let alone uh, travel back and forth. They traveled out to see us. I knew my dad liked to golf. He didn't golf the kind of golf I do. Putt, putt. 
But uh, took him out golfing. Then afterwards, he got me alone. He said, uh, met with my deacons, and we're calling you to come to the church uh, to be my assistant pastor and in two years take over. That's the way he said it. And he said, uh, I want you to pray about it. I said, yes, sir. When I got home that day, went to the bedroom of Janice, and I said, um, <laughs> we're not going to tell him here. And I told him what happened. We're kind of laughing about it. Says, There's no way. God brought us out there. <clears throat> we'd had, I think that number was about 35 people we'd led to the Lord in less than a year. And just knocking on doors and things like that and was able to get them saved and get them in there. And so I said, no, what? these are new Christians. I can't leave now. I mean, I had all the reasons why I shouldn't. He landed there in May. I didn't tell him until the 1st of August because <clears throat> through June, July, until the 1st of August, I fought God on that. God, no, that's not right. That's not right. If you want me another church, I'd like to have that church in the middle of Tucson. It's a nice church, nice location, everything beautiful. But I will. I walked for days in the desert. I did. I went in the desert there. You're in desert areas. Days with no, uh, no, no anything else, just a Bible, walking around there. Some nights I'd spend the entire night in prayer. I'd fast for a few days at a time. Finally, I woke up and says, dummy, he's affecting your sleep. He's affecting everything about you because you won't listen. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And then I called Dad, and I said, Dad, I believe the Lord wants me to come back. I'll come. That's around the 1st of August. I think he had just about given up. And as soon as I said that, it's just like somebody lifted 300 pounds off my shoulders. I wasn't looking for a feeling, but I got that when I hung up talking to him. The very next day, you know that church I was talking about? The pastor there was a good friend of mine. He says, uh, hey, Andy, uh, I got called to a church up in Idaho, and I, and I resigned, and, and uh, our people want you to come. I'd spoke for them on several occasions. And he says, my people want you to come and, and be their pastor. I said, man, why didn't you call 24 hours ago? I would have taken it right like that. So sometimes when you go through attack, I'm, I'm trying to bring you up to something. When you're attacked, when your family's attacked, when all these things are happening, God still had a purpose for having you there. When you look through that hall of faith, God had a purpose for each one, even though they suffered some great things. Now, tell me, Whose reward do you want when you get to heaven? The people that, that may have been saved and did the persecuting? Or those that would not bend on God's word, in God's service, but stayed true? Whose reward would you want? Those people walked with God and they realized he's very personal. They stayed in the word. They stayed in prayer. And that's how it works for you as a Christian. Yet, 
If you're not sure if you died today, that heaven's your home, everything I just said doesn't work for you. Doesn't work for you at all. Because until you're saved, that can't work for you. And you can't get saved until, first of all, you realize, I'm a sinner. So often you hear people, well, you know, God will weigh my good against my bad, or I'm not that bad. I went to church. I did this. I remember sitting by a lady on an airplane one time and talking to her. She said, I went forward at a youth camp when I was a little girl. They said, pray this prayer. I prayed this prayer, and they said, okay, you're going to heaven. But when she got older, she realized her life was empty. And so she got saved there on the plane. But what I'm saying is, is that saying that prayer, it might be the right words, but you see, it's got to be the heart that's been given to the Lord. Lord, I'm yours. And again, I repeat, from last week, Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, for those who are the called according to His purpose. And by the way, every one of those in Hebrews chapter 11 knew that. Do you know it? I don't say, do you know it in your mind? I'm saying, do you know it in practice? Do you know it in your life? Do you know it? But on the other hand, you can't know that either until he's your Lord and Savior. I'm a sinner. Jesus died on the cross, shedding his blood for every sin I ever have or ever will commit. He had existed in heaven throughout eternity past. He came here, took on flesh, that he might die for our sin. And now, when you think of that, to ignore that, to put it off, You're going to feel like the dumbest person ever that ever lived to have known that you could have been saved from that and you had too much pride to do that. Now, friend, God wants to save you. He loves you. He wants to change your life. He not only wants to save you, but if you have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, He wants you to become the example that might be able to lead them to Christ. How personal is your relationship with God? Or do you even have a personal relationship with God? Let's bow our heads, please.